and welcome to Moki's Birth School Online. Our free classes cover all aspects of pregnancy, birth and beyond, with experts who can answer all of your questions. Classes will take place twice a week, but you will also be able to discuss any subject on Moki's Helping Mums Facebook group. You will also be able to listen back to each session on this podcast. Do get in touch if you have any comments or questions. Please email us, helpingmums at moki.eu. In this episode, the wonderful Sophie, otherwise known as the infertile midwife, will be talking all about the stages of labour and answering your questions. Hello everyone. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to talk to you all. Um, I thought I would just do a little introduction about me first, um, just to say hello. Um, So I'm Sophie and I'm a midwife. Um, I actually didn't go into midwifery straight away. I was in the middle of doing a master's in theatre before I decided to become a midwife. Um, And then I decided to retrain um, and I work in a London hospital. I've worked in a birth centre, a labour ward, in a community setting. So I've had a really varied um, experience as being a midwife. And last year, I gave birth to identical twins. I run the Infertile Midwife Instagram page, which is a place to share my experiences of infertility and baby loss, but also to support other women who are experiencing similar issues. And for those of you that didn't watch Thursday's session with Marie-Louise, I just want to reiterate something that she said, which is about how important it is to go to all of your antenatal checkups. I know that a lot of you are frightened to go to hospitals or to go into GP surgeries and things like that. And I totally understand that. But it is so important that you have all your midwife checkups. Um, Most clinics and hospitals have got lots and lots of procedures in place so that we can keep you as safe as possible. Um, So things like partners not coming, being socially distant, and they'll be setting up which chairs you can sit in and things like that. So it's really important that you still go to all of your midwife checkups um, or call them if you've got any worries about anything. So today is going to be quite a full-on session and we're going to talk through the stages of labour. I'll explain what they are, what's happening to your body in each stage, what's normal and what's not normal. So we're going to cover a discussion about the cervix. We'll talk about the early labour or latent phase of labour. We'll talk about the first stage of labour, which is sometimes known as active labour. And that is from four centimetres dilated when you're having strong, regular contractions. We'll talk about transition. That's the stage when you're coming up to fully dilated. And then we'll go through second stage, which is when you're fully dilated up until the birth of your baby. And then third stage, which is the delivery of the placenta. So there's quite a lot to cover. And as Susie said, I'll do questions at the end. Um, So please forgive me if I don't answer them as we go along, but I'll just answer them all at the end. I think otherwise the flow will be interrupted. Um, And just to make clear that I'm just talking about um, spontaneous labour here. So I'm not going to be talking about any complications today because we'll cover that in a separate session. Um, And before we start, I just want to say it's really important to call your maternity unit um, if you're worried about your baby's movements, if you have any fresh red bleeding, if you're worried about anything or feeling unwell, if you think your waters are broken, which we'll talk about, um, or if you are in labour. So you can find them at any point. So 
first thing on the list is the cervix. Um, I don't know how much you know about the cervix, but it's the neck of the womb. And during labour, it undergoes lots of changes which allow it to open up so that the baby can pass into the birth canal or the vagina. Now, before labour, so during the pregnancy, your cervix is quite firm. It points backwards towards your bottom. It's long, it's probably about four centimetres long and it's closed and it sits quite high up in the vagina. Now, I always think of it as being quite similar to, I don't know if any of you remember the Smarties tubes. Obviously, it's not as long as a Smarties tube and the walls are a bit thicker, but it's that sort of shape. And the firmness is about as thick as your nose, so it starts off quite firm. But in order for the baby to be able to pass through the cervix, it has to start getting nice and soft and stretchy. It's going to come forwards, pointing towards the vaginal opening. It's going to get much, much shorter. It's going to start opening and it's going to thin out. So actually, during the labour, it softens to be soft like your lips. So it changes from being hard like your nose to soft like your lips. Um, and this process where the cervix changes is known as effacement. Some of you might have heard your midwife talking about cervical effacement, or sometimes we call it cervical ripening. And um, you might also hear something called the Bishop score being used. And that is how doctors and midwives can track the early changes to your cervix. So before it started opening, whilst it's doing all of that softening, shortening, thinning out, we work out a little score called the Bishop score. Now, don't worry if you've not heard of that. The score is mainly for the doctors and midwives, um, but I just wanted to explain if you had heard that. Now, a lot of these changes will begin to happen towards the end of the pregnancy. So when you're coming up to term around 37 weeks, all the way up until you giving birth. Um, and a lot of them will happen without you even realising. So that softening, that stretching, that can all happen without you knowing. But most of those changes will be caused by contractions. So that's kind of a summary of the cervix. Um, and I think it's just important to know about that because it will make sense when we're talking about the early and active stages of labour. So I hope that's okay. I'm just gonna have a quick sip of water, sorry. So the early stage of labour, which is sometimes called the latent phase, this is where a lot of that cervical ripening or effacement is gonna happen. Um, and the cervix does most of those other changes, the shortening, the moving, the thinning, before it starts opening. So it has to do a lot of work before it starts dilating. Um, and I'm just gonna talk about some of the things that can happen in the latent or early stage of labor. So you might get a mucus plug or a show. I think a lot of people will have heard of those terms, but they might not know what they are. So this is a jelly-like substance and it sits inside the cervix. So if you imagine that Smarties tube, it's inside there and it's a protective barrier and it stops bacteria getting inside the uterus. So it's a mucus plug because it plugs up the cervix. But as those, that, those cervical changes start to happen, like the ones that I've mentioned, um, that mucus plug can start to come out and that's what's known as the show. So it can come out in one big blob or it can come out in several smaller pieces. So you might notice it whilst you're wiping yourself when you go to the toilet and um, or you might just find it coming away over several hours or you might just notice one big blob in your pants. All of that would be normal and it looks like snot. So it's really sticky and quite jelly like. 
it can have bits of pink through it and even streaks of red blood that would be completely normal but if you're having quite heavy fresh red bleeding call your maternity unit straight away now not everyone has a show so please don't worry if you don't have one um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be going into labor immediately it can sometimes happen even a week or so before labor begins but it is a sign that those cervical changes have started to happen so it is really encouraging another um, symptom in early labor can be braxton hicks again not everyone will experience braxton hicks but they're your womb or your uterus preparing for labor so that's when your uterus contracts and then releases so you might feel your tummy going hard for a few seconds and then going soft again they can feel quite uncomfortable but they usually aren't painful again this doesn't necessarily mean that labor is about to happen but they are a sign that your body's getting ready now a lot of people ask the difference between Braxton Hicks and contractions and I'm going to go through contractions shortly um, but uh, as I said Braxton Hicks aren't usually painful they can be a bit uncomfortable um, and they tend to be quite irregular so you might have several close together and then you won't have any for the rest of the day they can sometimes be stimulated by your baby moving by being dehydrated so we're not really sure why people have Braxton Hicks some people in the early or latent stage of labor will get cramping a bit like period cramping so it might feel that your period's about to start or you might feel the same cramping that you do get during your period and for some people that's at the front of their tummy so under their bump um, and for other people it's in their backs similar to having a period obviously everyone gets different symptoms and side effects so that's the same with the cramping um, and again not everyone will experience this either so don't worry if none of these things happen to you in the early or latent stage of labor diarrhea and vomiting is also particularly common in the early or latent stage of labor and this is very normal so our bodies only like to concentrate on doing one thing at a time and actually labor does use quite a lot of energy so processes like digesting food aren't prioritized so your body likes to get rid of anything that it doesn't need so it can fully focus on you and your labor and, and your baby so i know that's not a particularly nice side effect but it is very common and very normal again not everyone will experience this now obviously if you're having diarrhea and vomiting over a really prolonged period of time you're not able to tolerate fluids then definitely phone your maternity unit um, but in terms of making sure you're hydrated little and often is often the best way to do it because it's easier for your body to digest and as we've mentioned it only likes to do one thing at a time and labour is rather a lot of energy so it, it's going to only be able to process tiny little bits of, of fluid and drink and um, food as well. And then contractions. So similar to Braxton Hicks, so your tummy's gonna go hard for a few seconds and then release. And in the early stage of labor, they can be sporadic. They might come and go. Now, the difference, as I mentioned earlier, is that contractions are quite a lot more intense than Braxton Hicks. So they're, they're kind of verging, instead of being uncomfortable, they're more painful or intense. 
as the labour progresses, they're going to become longer, more regular and more intense. So when you first start feeling some contractions, you're going to feel maybe some period cramping that might build up. You might feel some waves coming where your tummy's going harder and softer. And eventually that will become more rhythmic. And by the time you're in active labour, you'll be having approximately three to four contractions in a 10 minute period. And they'll last around a minute. They will be quite intense and you will have to focus all of your energy on that contraction. So if you're still able to have a conversation with someone whilst you're having this contraction, it's probably more at the Braxton Hicks end of things than the contractions. Um, but everyone is different. And as I said, it can be very irregular. It wouldn't be uncommon for things to start happening. So start having some contractions in this early or latent phase and then for it to tail off again. Quite often people notice that they'll start having some pain or some contractions during the night. Then the next morning it will stop again. The next night it will start again and that might carry on for a few nights as well. That would also be completely normal. When it's your first baby, particularly this early or this latent phase can be slightly longer. And um, so this coming and going of your body quite, can't quite decide whether it wants to go into labour yet is very normal. Now throughout this stage, you should be feeling your baby move as usual. So if you feel like your baby isn't moving, please, please phone your maternity unit. It's really important. So even when you're having contractions or pains, your baby should be moving as you usually feel them. So what can you do in this early or latent phase in labour? So resting. Resting is really important. You will need a lot of energy for the rest of labour. So do try and rest as much as you can. Now that doesn't always mean sleeping. I know that when you are really uncomfortable, sleep can, be, can escape you. So even if it's just laying on your left side with your eyes closed, that can be a really nice way to save up some of that energy for a bit later on in the uh, labour. I briefly mentioned this before, but keeping hydrated. So labour can slow or stop entirely if you aren't hydrated. So it is really important that you're drinking lots of water. And actually on that note, I'm gonna have a sip. Also isotonic drinks can be quite helpful. They've got a lot of electrolytes, which are quite useful to your body during labour. And um, so I always think this is quite a good job for your partner and make sure that they are making you drink because you might not feel able to or you might not be thinking about that so make make your partner your birth partner in charge of the drinks so that they can perhaps give you a little sip some it, using a straw is actually quite helpful during labor and also when you're um breathing through contractions it can make your mouth really really dry so lots of sips of water can really help with that and then tying into that Emptying your bladder is very, very important in labour or early labour. So when you've got a full bladder, that stops the baby's head from descending into the birth canal. So I don't know if you can see, but this is the baby's head. It's going to bash the bladder. Um, so it means the baby can't get through because the, uh, the bladder's in the way. But also it can damage your bladder if that baby keeps pressing against it. So please make sure that you are emptying your bladder every few hours just to make sure that that baby's got plenty of space to come through the birth canal. 
some people in early labour find it quite difficult to rest, as I mentioned earlier, you might be a bit uncomfortable. So for some people, moving around and being active might be really helpful for you. Using a birthing ball, so you can sit there with your knees really wide open, that makes plenty of space for the baby to come down into the pelvis. Rocking your hips from side to side, again that's really nice, it gives you lots of space in that pelvis, that baby lots of room which is what we want so it can come nice and deep down into the pelvis. Um, you might feel that you want to just stay in one position, that's okay as well, um, but do try and not stay in one position for too long. In early labour, I think if you're planning on having a TENS machine, which is a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation machine, it's really good to put this on in the early stage of labour. Now the TENS machine works by sending very mild electrical impulses um, down the wires and it's a really good pain relief but they work best if you put them earlier on them if you put them on earlier you can buy or rent them and the way they work is they build up the electrical impulses so it's not as helpful if you put them on several hours into the labor but if you put them on as soon as you start to feel uncomfortable they're going to you're going to get the most benefit from them from them and they are really really good Another thing that you can do in the early or later phase of labour is relaxation. I know Marie-Louise on Thursday talks a lot about hypnobirthing. So if you are hypnobirthing, pop one of your tracks on. Um, I often find that actually using headphones to listen to the tracks can be quite useful because it really gets you in the zone rather than playing it in the room. Uh, everyone's different though, so you might find it much easier to have it in the whole room. Or if you've not done any hypnobirthing, if you've done breathing exercises or any other sort of relaxation techniques, again, that can be really nice in the early or latent stage of labour. Again, if you're not able to sleep fully, just going into a deeper relaxation can just make your body rest and save its energy for later on. Having a warm bath or a shower, that can also be quite nice in the early or latent phase of labour, um, depending on obviously how big your bath is, but that, that can be really nice pain relief. Now for some people, having a bath might slow the contractions down, and that's okay, it might give you a breather, um, but don't be worried if that does happen, that's very normal. It's also safe to take paracetamol in the early or latent phase of labour when you're at home, according to the instructions as well, as long as you've not got any allergies. And I briefly alluded to this earlier, but nourishment, so that is important. So although your body isn't gonna prioritise digesting food, you do still need to give it some energy. And little and often is the best way forward. And again, this is a job for the birth partner. And make sure that you've got plenty of snacks, either in your bag and around the house as well, and snacks for your birth partner too. And um, it's long and you know a lot of energy for them too. Fruit, seeds, and nuts—they're all quite good. They're high in energy. And um, you want to obviously give your body as much food as possible but not too heavy, so that's why little bits of dried fruit or fresh fruit can be really nice. Lots of energy, not too heavy to digest. And then also in the early or latent phase of labour, call your midwife or your maternity unit. Um, you can phone them at any point that you want to speak to them, if it's just for reassurance or if you feel like you want to come in for a checkup, that's absolutely fine. That's what they're there for, so please never be worried to phone and speak to your midwife. 
So in summary of the early or later phase of labour, your cervix is going to start to do all of those changes that I mentioned, the softening, the shortening, and a lot of those will happen without you realising but other things that can give you clues that your body is starting to get ready for labour is the show, Braxton Hicks, contractions, having a bit of an upset stomach, diarrhoea and vomiting, or cramping. And always phone your midwife if you have any concerns. So that was the early or latent phase of labour. So now we're going to move on to talking about active labour. Now, Active labour is usually defined by having strong regular contractions and being at least four centimetres dilated. So in the early or latent phase of labour, you will start having contractions, but they tend to be a little more irregular. They haven't quite got into their rhythm yet. And that's okay, that's very normal. Um, contractions don't turn on like a switch, they have to build up and build up. So you, you might find that they come and go, but by the time you're in active labour, they'll be really regular and you'll be having about three to four contractions in a 10 minute period, and this is gonna be regular and consistent. And comparison between early and active labor, and this is briefly what I mentioned before, but in the early or latent phase, the contractions can wane, so they can have a, you know, an hour or so where they're quite intense, and then they might slow down again, but in active labor, that doesn't happen. So they'll keep coming, they'll keep coming, they'll keep coming. And you should feel quite a different intensity from the earlier stage of labour. So you will feel like things have stepped up a notch. And again, this is a time to call your midwife. Now, there's a really famous midwife from America, Ina Mae Gaskin, and she describes them as being really intense sensations that you have to focus all of your energy on. And I think that's a really accurate way of describing them. So often people will talk about them being painful, but I found that they were just really intense sensations. Um, and a lot of people prefer to call them surges rather than contractions, and that's all absolutely fine. Um, you know, each person is individual, and you'll find that the contractions or surges will feel different from you for you than they do for other people, and that's absolutely that's absolutely okay. One thing I do try to say to everyone is don't hold your breath when you're having that contraction. So it's really, really common for people to just really clench everything and really feel a lot of tension but actually during a contraction your uterus as we mentioned is going to squeeze down so we a lot of the blood flow to the baby will be just temporarily reduced just for those few seconds that you're having your contraction but if you're holding your breath too then we're not getting as much oxygen as we want to the baby so it's really important that when you're having these contractions or surges that you keep breathing keep breathing throughout just so that you've got as much oxygen on board to give to your baby and it's also a good time to start timing your contractions when they start to get more regular. Again, this is a job for partners. Um, you don't need an app or anything like that. Just a watch is absolutely fine. Um, and it doesn't have to be completely exact. You'll know when they're quite rhythmic. Um, it will be fairly obvious. You'll have your contraction, then a break, contraction, then a break. Um, it, yeah, as I said, a really great job for partners to do. I think getting them jobs to do is so important because often they can feel quite helpless you know it's really difficult for them to see you so uncomfortable but if they've got their little jobs to do so making sure you're drinking making sure you're eating timing the contractions that's a really really good way of getting them engaged getting them to support you throughout this 
So most people want to know, when should I go to the hospital? Now, if you're having a high-risk pregnancy, then please call your maternity unit as soon as you start to have regular contractions. Or if you're preterm, so if you're less than 37 weeks, please phone your midwife straight away. I'm actually going to talk about second babies first and then we'll go back to first babies. Now, if this is your second or subsequent baby, second babies don't tend to hang around and the latent phase doesn't tend to be quite so long. So call your midwife as soon as you feel like things are beginning to happen and they'll tell you when's best to come in. Now, with first babies, they can take a little time. That early or latent phase can be a bit longer. And what we don't want is you toing and throwing backwards and forwards to the hospital in early labour. So as I mentioned, when you're having those strong regular contractions, that is usually the best time to come into the hospital. Um, but always phone your midwife just to chat with them. And you absolutely can go to hospital before that if you feel like you want some reassurance or you want some extra pain relief. So no one's going to turn you away. Um, and don't be frightened to phone your maternity unit. If your waters break, it's really important to phone your the hospital as well. Now this is something that can happen at any time. And um, so it might happen when you've had no contractions at all, or it might not happen until you give birth, or somewhere in the middle. So that's all completely normal. Always call if you think your waters are broken. So the waters can be a big gush like you see in the films or on television. Or sometimes it can be a little trickle and that would usually happen if the waters have broken somewhere near the top of your tummy. If they break at the bottom that's when you get the big gush but if they break at the top it's more of a trickle. Now it is quite common to get watery discharge towards the end of pregnancy and a lot of people will say oh I am a bit wet maybe it's my waters. Now if you're not sure phone your midwife but what I always say is that if you're having to wear a pad so if the, the wetness is so heavy you're having to wear a pad and you're constantly wet it's more likely to be the waters than it is the discharge once your waters break they actually just keep leaking until your baby is born so they don't just gush or they don't just trickle and that's it your body is making more fluid all the time but also it doesn't all come out in one go so don't be surprised if you keep leaking that would be very normal. The waters can be a straw colour or a clear colour, or they can even be pink. That would all be very normal. But if the waters are green or a brownie colour, or there's any offensive smell, it's super important that you phone your maternity unit, because this can sometimes be a sign that your baby's done a poo inside, which can be a sign of distress, and we definitely want to check you over. Now, during these active stage of labour, we assess you and your baby in a number of different ways, which I'll just run through. So we'll do observations on you, things like doing your blood pressure, temperature, your pulse and your respiration rate, just to make sure that you're OK. And we do those at regular intervals. We might offer you a vaginal examination and they are often offered to check the progress of labour. Now, a vagina examination is where two fingers are inserted into the vagina. We usually check how dilated the cervix is and also all those other changes that I mentioned before. And we'll also check the position of the baby. Now, again, we try not to do those too often because we know that they're not so comfortable for you. And also we don't want to be introducing infection, but sometimes they are necessary. So just ask your midwife why she's recommending one for you. 
we'll monitor the baby's heartbeat during the labour as well. So this might be intermittently using a Doppler, which is the machine your midwife uses during your appointments. Or it might be continuously using a CCG machine. Now that's the machine with the belts. A lot of units do have wireless options for the CTG machine. So just ask your midwife because that's quite useful to know. Obviously, if you're on the CTG machine, it'd be great if you could use a wireless one so you could still be mobile. Midwives also do a fluid balance during labour. So we'll be noting how much you drink and how much you pee. Again, that's just so we can make sure that you've got enough hydration on board and that you are emptying your bladder. And then we do a lot of visual obs observations during labour. So there's quite a lot of signs that we can see just from looking at you that your labour is progressing. And um, just for one example, there's something called the purple line. And this is a purple line. Um, and it appears in between your bottom cheeks when you're usually quite far advanced into the labour. And that's caused by congestion. So it indicates that the baby's really nice and low and making their way through the, the, the vaginal canal. Um, another observation is that people get the urge to open their bowels and midwives always get excited when we hear that. And that's just as the baby's head moves really deep into the birth canal, um, the baby's head will start pressing on your bowels, which causes you to have that urge to poo. And actually some women will open their bowels as well. Please do not be embarrassed about this. It's very normal. It's natural and we always get very excited about this genuinely because it means your baby is on the way. We are also very discreet at tidying this up and often people won't even realise this has happened. So please don't let that play on your minds. I know a lot of people do really um, worry about that during the labour. But as I said, it is a really exciting time to hear when people start saying that they need to go to the loo. We get very excited. So throughout labour, you can request pain relief at any time that you want. I'd also recommend trying to move around as much as possible. It can be difficult to find a position that's comfortable, so keep trying out different ones. Upright positions are always really good for labour because you have a lot of gravity on your side. But do remember to rest too. There should be lots and lots of toys and equipment for you to use, things like balls, bean bags, stools, things like that. And, and that's all to try and help you get into a really great position for comfort and then just remember all of the things I said for the early phase of labour also relevant here so drinking, peeing, eating snacks as well and then just one thing I wanted to mention that if you have an epidural check if your unit has something called a peanut ball and this is a ball a birthing ball shaped like a peanut so in the shell um, and they're really really good to put in between your legs during the labour Sometimes with the epidural, it's more difficult to be mobile, so ask your unit if they've got a peanut ball. So in summary of active labour, it's characterised by really strong regular contractions and the cervix being at least four centimetres open, but some women will feel this active labour sensation before and that's okay. Phone your maternity unit, speak to your midwife and they will advise when's the best time to come in. So the next stage of labour is called transition. So this is the point in the labour where you're coming up to fully dilated. So you're transitioning from the first to the second stage of labour. Now this is usually characterised by a feeling of loss of control or wanting to give up. 
but this stage of labor is very short so if you suddenly feel like you can't do it anymore remember that it's going to shortly pass and you will be meeting your baby soon try to focus on each surge as it comes each contraction is going to end and you will have a break before the next one begins and just remember that each contraction brings you one step closer to meeting your baby Again, midwives get very excited about this stage as we know that it means that things are really, really cracking on and that you'll be, you're well advanced in the labour, you're going to be meeting your baby soon. I'm quite a big fan of birth affirmations. Um, so you can either draw them or buy them and you put them up in the room and they say things like, my body knows how to birth my baby or other positive things like that. And I think they're really useful in this transition point because this is the point where you want to give up, where you think you can't do it anymore. And it, and it, is, it is quite a frightening stage, um, but please just remember all of that breathing all of that really each contraction is is doing its job bringing you closer to meet your baby i also think it's quite important to warn your birth partner about this stage of labor because again it can be quite scary for them too and if they know what to expect they'll be able to best support you in this stage but do remember this stage is really exciting because it means that your baby is is very much on the way to meet you and it is a very short-lived part of the labor so once you've got through transition, you'll be in the second stage. So this is when you're fully dilated and it goes all the way up to the birth of your baby. It does involve the pushing stage and it can take a couple of hours. So at this point, the cervix is fully open and the baby begins its descent down the birth canal and out through the vaginal opening. At this stage, the contractions do change and they become more expulsive. So you feel a lot more pressure down through your tummy. You'll also feel this urge to push or bear down. And as I mentioned earlier, you might feel a lot more pressure in your bottom or that you might want to open your bowels. Again, it's really normal and very, very good signs. Now, if you've got an epidural and you're feeling quite numb, it might be that the midwife guides you when to push, but otherwise you'll have very strong impulses and your body will be telling you exactly what you need to do. So at this point, all you need to do is just listen to your body. So this bearing down, this urging will become so overwhelming that you can't resist and you'll just have, have to bear down. And, and the baby's head, it does kind of rock backwards and forwards through a U-bend, a bit like this. And once it comes around the U-bend, it's going to keep coming and it starts to stretch the skin around the outside of your vaginal opening. So this around the perineum. So as that baby gets closer to the vaginal opening, the midwife's going to start verbally guiding you, giving you some instructions. She might ask you to pant or to blow, just like this. I like to think of it as blowing out the candles on your baby's birthday cake. And this is so that your baby can be born as slowly and in a, such a controlled way so that we can reduce the risk of any tearing happening. Your midwife might also put her hand on your perineum to protect it as the baby's born as well. So you'll be having these urges and we'll be wanting you to just go with those urges. And then as that baby's head begins to be born, it's really important that you listen to your midwife's instructions so that you can give birth to the baby in a really nice, slow, controlled way. And that's, as I said, just to give that baby a nice, gentle birth, but also to help reduce the risk of any tearing. Now, once the baby is born, we'll quickly check the baby's okay and they'll come straight to you for a cuddle. 
And then we move on to the third stage, and this is the last stage of labour. And this is the delivery of the placenta. So there are two ways that this can happen. The first is called active management. So certain women will have risk factors for bleeding and we'll advise that this mode of delivery of the placenta is safer for them. So your midwife or doctor should be telling you if this is you. And in active management, we give you an injection into your leg, into your thigh, after you've given birth, usually of oxytocin. And this, again, contracts your uterus, but it does one big contraction. Now, what this does is it helps expel the placenta, but it also significantly reduces the risk of bleeding because it contracts all the blood vessels. So that's why if you're at risk of bleeding, we'll be recommending this for you because it contracts all those blood vessels. Now, like any drugs, obviously, there's some things to be aware of. So it's an injection. So it might be obviously a little bit uncomfortable. I'm sure after giving birth, a little uh, injection probably won't feel like too much. And then obviously side effects like nausea and vomiting can happen too. If you do have active management of the delivery of the placenta, it means your placenta will be delivered within half an hour and the midwife or the doctor gently pulls the placenta when it's ready to be delivered. If you do have any heavy bleeding after birth, we'll be recommending this injection for you as a life-saving measure. And then the other method is called physiological management, and this is where no drugs are given. So this is only suitable for women who don't have any risk factors for bleeding. So if you're not sure, ask your midwife. So in this situation, we just wait for the placenta to deliver. So it can take up to an hour, so slightly longer. And instead of the midwife or doctor gently guiding the placenta, you'll expel the placenta yourself. So this sometimes can be really simple and just stand up and obviously gravity helps the placenta fall out. Or sometimes it does require a bit more bearing down. Now, obviously, it's not like giving birth again because the placenta is very, very soft. And so you shouldn't feel you'll feel some cramping and some contractions Obviously, your body tries to expel the placenta. But it's not like giving birth again. And if you do decide to switch to active management, you can do that at any point. So that is kind of a whistle-stop tour of the stages of labour. I'm just going to have a quick drink. And then um, we can move on to questions, I think. That was quite the, uh, quite the lesson. That was great, um, Sophie. Thank you very much. So yeah, I guess um, if people want to start um, sending across their messages, we can start answering them, I guess. I'll have a little look. But that was sorry, if that was quite quick, I'm I'm sorry. There's a lot to fit in and um, I wanted to give enough time for the questions. I know there was quite a lot of questions last time. Well, no, no, that's great. Um I've just been typing all that up, so that'll be in a blog post tomorrow um, on the website. So thanks for that. Obviously, your fingers must have been moving very fast. <laughs> there you go. Here we go. Oh, we're off. So the question is, will birthing equipment be available during the COVID restrictions like birthing balls? Absolutely. That absolutely will not be affected by coronavirus. Now, um, it is really important to mention that if you've got coronavirus at the time of birth, um, you'll be required to give birth in an obstetric unit. So where we can look after you just a little bit more closely. But there'll be birth balls available in, in in all areas of uh, delivery suite and things like that. So definitely just ask your midwife. Um, the next question is, what advice would you give to someone who has anxiety about birth? 
Now, that is something I do hear quite a lot, actually. Um, and I think is fairly common, but still speak to your midwife about it. But um, I think it really depends on if there was a specific element that was giving you some anxiety. It's really important to kind of explore that a bit further and obviously chat with your midwife. So um, things that I like to recommend if you're a bit anxious about giving birth is um, there's a website called Tell Me A Good Birth Story. Um, so that's a website which is just good birth stories so that's not just all you know straightforward everything's perfect births that's births where there has been complications but the main point is that it was still a positive experience for them so it could be someone having an emergency cesarean it could be someone having a forceps delivery but they still had a positive experience so that's quite a good one um also ask your midwife about um perinatal therapy so in the UK, there's something called IAPT, which is increasing access to psychological therapies, which is available everywhere in the UK, and it's free, and they streamline pregnant people. Um, so that's a really good therapy and counselling service as well, which can be really, really useful. Um, or often hospitals, I know mine does, will have someone that's um, like a mental health midwife or someone that specializes in birth trauma and things like that, or even just a consultant midwife. So that can be really useful. Um, if you are feeling quite anxious about giving birth as well. So yeah, definitely ask your midwife because they might have some kind of better resources, but yeah, I quite, I like to tell me a good birth story. I think that's a really good resource. Okay. The next, uh, what conditions can make you at risk of bleeding? So there are loads of different things that can make you at risk of bleeding. And um, so having had a hemorrhage previously, that would make you more likely to have a bleeding again. And um, having a raised BMI, that does put you at increased risk of bleeding. Um, induction makes you at an increased risk of bleeding. Um, being over the age of 40. Um, I'm trying to think there's there's lots and lots of different things that can make you have bleeding if you've had um antenatal uh, hemorrhaging that can put you in increases of bleeding um actually having a cesarean will give you a slightly higher blood loss at birth but obviously you're in theater with lots of drugs and need tests and things like that so just ask your midwife if you've got any specific ones but there are a few that put you at a high risk of bleeding um, and then we've got up to how many centimetres can you be able to get an epidural? So um, usually we do recommend being at least four centimetres dilated. So that would be in the active stage of labour, although you would be able to have one earlier if you did want one. And then when it comes to the end of labour, so if we can see your baby's head or your baby is coming out, then obviously we're not going to be able to do an epidural. Um, and I do know that different hospitals have different policies. So at my hospital, we'll give an epidural pretty much at any point, um, as long as it's safe to do so. So for, as I mentioned, if the baby's coming out, then we're not going to do one, but otherwise pretty much we can do one. But um, I know some hospitals are a little bit stricter with their epidurals, so just check with your trust with your hospital. Um, someone's put epidural, yes or no. Um, epidural is a really, really good pain relief. Um, and if you are thinking that you don't want to have any pain in labour, then that is an absolutely brilliant pain relief option for you. But it is a really personal decision as well. Um, there is a really good website if you type in obstetric anaesthetists into 
Google, they have got a really, really good website about all the pain relief options available in labour. And we are going to do a session on pain relief as well. So we'll be able to give you all the pros and cons. But it's such a personal decision. So I think it depends what you want from your birth experience. And the next question is, how can I prevent giving birth in our car on the way to hospital? So it is really unlikely that if it's your first baby that you will give birth in the car on the way to hospital. And um, sometimes second babies can be really quick. That's why I mentioned just phoning your midwife as soon as you feel like things are happening. Um, but if you feel like the labour is advancing and you feel like your baby is coming, then it is appropriate to phone an ambulance. Um, but if you... And hopefully you shouldn't get to the point that your baby's delivering in the car. So if you're phoning your maternity unit throughout the labour, they should be able to advise you when it's best to come into the hospital. But if it's your first baby, it's very, very unlikely that's going to happen. Um, will midwives be in full PPE? So yes, midwives will be in full PPE. So I know that can be a bit scary for everyone um, because obviously you've got the gowns and the masks, but um, it's for everyone's safety, as I'm sure you can imagine. Now, when you're in labour, you are only looked after by one midwife. So that one midwife will only be looking after you. Um, so it's about the safety of you and everyone else. Um, but yes, people will be wearing masks and gowns um, in the labour but please remember that even though we've got masks on we will all be smiling at you um, you know we're just trying to do our job the same as we always do providing safe care as much as we can um, just with a bit of extra equipment on the next question is do you usually get your dilation checked before labour in a checkup and are there any risks being dilated in active labour so when um People normally have their cervix checked when they come in for a labour assessment, if that's what they like. Um, but if you're having a sweep when in one of your antenatal appointments, the midwife will be checking your cervix then. That's when we write the bishop score and we work out um, what changes your cervix has already made. Um, and I think, is that, are there any risks to having a checkup and um, I think so the main risk is infection so if your waters are broken we really try not to do them very often at all um, but we do consider the risk to be fairly low um, and obviously we don't try and we try and do as few as we can because obviously we know they're not that pleasant. Um, the next question is everyone tested for a coronavirus when in labour now that is definitely dependent on your hospital and um, I know that at my hospital we're not checking everyone for coronavirus when they're in labour and um, so unless you've had symptoms at my hospital we're not checking you um, but check with your midwife and the next question was I mentioned laying on the left hand side but someone's finding it sore is it bad to lay on your back or your right hand side now, it's definitely not bad to lay on your right-hand side. Um, we really try and uh, uh, avoid getting you to lay on your back whilst you're pregnant. And that's because when your tummy and your uterus is obviously getting larger and the baby's getting heavier, it presses on your big blood vessels. So it means that you get a bit less oxygen and also then the baby will get a bit less oxygen. So you'll feel a bit breathless, you might feel um, dizzy and things like that. So that's why we say the left hand side, just because those blood vessels will then be clear. Now, it does get sore if you're constantly just laying on the left hand side. So it is fine to switch it over to the right hand side. That's absolutely fine. And um, also on that note as well, a lot of people worry that they're going to sleep on their left, but they wake up on their back. That's absolutely fine. We know that it's about the position you go to sleep in. So if you do wake up on your back, 
just roll over to your side again, it's absolutely fine. Someone has put, what is a telemetry machine used for? So a telemetry is just a wireless CTG machine. So instead of having the um, monitors attached to your machine, they're wireless so that you can get up and walk around during the labor. So if your unit's got one, I really try and get them to use it with you because it's really helpful if you're trying to be active in the labor. Are there any downsides to active management with the placenta? Um, so, as I mentioned, it is a drug. So, um, you are having an injection, which obviously can be unpleasant. Obviously, with any injection or anything where we break the skin, there's a really small risk of infection. Obviously, that's very small. Um, and then, as I mentioned, things like diarrhea and, vom and nausea and vomiting, obviously, side effects of any medication. We do consider it a really, really, really safe drug and um, different hospitals will use different drugs so it's usually oxytocin but some will use oxytocin mixed with a different medication so just check what they're using with you um i labored at home until eight centimeters with my first how much sooner should i consider with my second wow that's really fantastic well done and um, so second babies don't hang around so i would and you were having three contractions in five minutes yeah that is a fairly um a good amount of contractions with second babies i usually say if you're having one contraction every five minutes so two in ten minutes that's a really really good sign that things are going to start happening and um, if you um manage to stay at home to eight centimeters that's really impressive so definitely we don't want you waiting at home for a really long amount of time with your second because they just don't hang around so as soon as you are having kind of regular two in ten contractions phone, phone your midwife I have a glucose appointment in early May and you're nervous to go to the hospital and stay there for two hours. Is it necessary to go? And um, so if your hospital is recommending you to do a glucose appointment, it is really important for you to go. Now, yes, some glucose appointments will take a couple of hours, um, but you don't necessarily have to sit next to everyone. And I know that at my hospital in the waiting area we're setting out the seats so that you're not sat next directly next to someone and um, so that there is a two meter distance in between people and um, so we're really kind of quite hot on that and making sure that people aren't mixing um, also i know that at my trust when we do the glucose test you can go and sit downstairs in the coffee shop and things like that so if you don't necessarily want to sit in the maternity unit that's fine just ask your midwife what they usually recommend but if you're being recommended to a glucose test it's far more important for you to come to the hospital and have the test than it is not to do it um i'm on aspirin for high risk of preeclampsia would that cause a high risk of bleeding um, so obviously aspirin is a blood thinner and usually you'd stop taking it if you're either being induced or you're in labor um, but aspirin isn't as strong as other blood thinners so i wouldn't necessarily be if you've got preeclampsia you'll probably be recommended um the active management of the placenta anyway but just check with your midwife obviously it's really difficult to answer questions about individual circumstances without knowing the whole picture um, but aspirin yes it is a blood thinner but it's not it's not as strong as other drugs that we can use when is it best to get into the birthing hall i've heard it can slow down labor yes and i think i sort of alluded to that in the bath as well so um we definitely wouldn't recommend getting in the birthing pool until active labor so when those contractions are really regular because you are right it can definitely slow everything down a little bit if you get in too early so um 
if you're planning on using one at home, it's better to use it as a bath rather than a pool, so not have it so high filled up because then it might not slow it down. But if you are planning on using it in the hospital, then your midwife's going to tell you the best time to get in. But yeah, you are right. It can slow it down slightly. But if you are in established active labour, it, it probably isn't going to slow it down. It's just in that earlier stage. What are my thoughts on hypnobirthing? I think hypnobirthing is brilliant. Um, I really love it because I actually don't think it matters how you give birth. So a lot of people use it because they do want to do kind of that low risk natural birth. But I think it's really important to, it's really useful because even if you end up having an emergency cesarean, all of those useful tools that you'll have learned during hypnobirthing will just help you feel a lot more in control of the situation. That's why I like it because I think Yes, it is really helpful, lots of breathing techniques and things like that, but actually it's really helpful for maintaining that sense of control, which can sometimes be really difficult during labour. So yeah, I really think hypnobirthing is a great idea. And you know, there's lots of really good free resources out there as well, so it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, vitamin K drops or injection. So if, every, if everyone, um, well, I'll just explain what vitamin K is. So it's a vitamin and it helps the baby's blood to clot. So um, some babies are born with less vitamin K when they're born. Um, and that means that if they were going to start bleeding, they might not be able to stop themselves. So we recommend that babies have vitamin K after they're born to help clot their blood because we're not sure which babies haven't got so much of the vitamin K. Now, um, it can come in two ways. You can have a one-off injection after the baby's born or you can have droplets. Now, we're never quite sure that they've had the droplets, so they have to have it three different times. Um, and I know that in my hospital, for example, we send you home with them and you'll give it to your baby yourself, but your midwife would explain all of that to you. Um, so it's really up to you. Um, most paediatricians would recommend the injection because you know they've definitely had it, but it is completely up to you. Um, would I recommend any specific breathing or hypnobirthing courses? Um, oh, it's a tough one. I think I do think doing a face-to-face -face course is really good. So if there's one near you, that's always really helpful. But I do really like um, the Yes Mum. She does some really nice hypnobirthing things. So have a little look there. Are we going to schedule the rest, the list of the rest of the sessions? Yes, hopefully they'll be on the website soon, so we we'll have to see what we're doing in the rest of the sessions. Um, I've heard you're not meant to eat too much in labour in case you have surgery. Is this correct? You're, um, I mentioned you're allowed snacks. So I think that's a really, really old-fashioned bit of advice that you shouldn't eat in labour. Um, labour obviously can go on for quite some time now. If you're not eating, your, your body's not going to have enough sugar to do it all. So that is a really, really old-fashioned piece of advice. So definitely keep having the snacks in um in, in labour and in early labour, definitely. Now, I wouldn't advise eating like a huge pizza or a massive three-course meal because that's probably just going to come straight back up again. But definitely, yeah, your fruit and your snacks, you know, a few jelly babies or, you know, little sugary bits, they're absolutely fine to have in labour. When you're having a baby and you've got an O-negative blood group, do you stay in the hospital longer? No, you don't. Um, 
I think you're probably referring to needing anti-G, aren't you? So um, if you've got a negative blood group, we check your baby's blood group after they've been born from a little bit of the cause blood. And then if they are negative, we don't do anything. And if they're positive blood group, then you have an injection, but it would not keep you in hospital any longer. The best position to give birth in when having an epidural, um, I mean, this is a really good position for anyone in labour, but left lateral, so laying on your left hand side is an absolutely brilliant position to give birth in. Um, and obviously epidural, you can sometimes have some mobility problems. So obviously standing up might not always be appropriate, um, but obviously anything where you're upright is quite useful. But um, left lateral, so laying on your left hand side is an absolutely brilliant position to give birth in or just to labour in and not just for epidural. So for anyone, that's a really good one. Is there any point in a sweep, given you have to be one centimetre dilated to do it? Um, so sweeps, if you look at the Cochrane review, so that's kind of the meta-analysis of data, there's no, it's, there's no evidence strongly either way to say whether they work or not. Now, anecdotally, a lot of women will say that they work, but um, as you're right, you do have to be dilated a little bit to actually do it. So we're not quite sure if actually your body was almost ready to start with, or whether um, the sweep actually did it. So I think it's really up to you. And for those of you that don't know what a sweep is, it's a vaginal examination where we try and put a finger through the cervix and sweep around to stimulate hormone release to hopefully send people into labor. Um, so it's, it's really up to you. Some people are very much anti having a sweep because they just think that their body will go into labor when it wants to. Other people are absolutely desperate to get the baby out so they'll more than happy to have a sweep and um, they do work best obviously as you mentioned if you are already a little bit dilated but even if you aren't dilated we can still massage the outside of the cervix to hopefully produce some hormone relief and then I think this is probably gonna be the last question because I haven't got so much time but um, I'm going to be offered a sweep at 38 weeks due to coronavirus I don't want to be induced is there any advantage of a sweep at this stage was it working worth waiting to 40 weeks to minimise risk of infection. Um, I think if they're, this is quite a difficult one because I don't know the whole picture, but if they are in wanting to induce you early, um, then it might be a good idea to have a sweep. But if you don't want to have one, then you don't have to have a sweep. It's, as I said, the meta-analysis from the Cochrane Review doesn't give us strong data either way of whether they work or not. Um, so just ask the midwife or the doctor why they're recommending a sweep for you. Um, because a sweep is not a method of induction per se. So um, are they planning uh, further induction? So just clarify that. And, oh, I have got time for one more question. Can you opt for active management if you're low risk? Yes, anyone can opt for active management, but conversely, physiological management is only recommended if you're low risk. So. If you're low risk, you can do either active or physiological. But if you are high risk, it's not recommended to do a physiological delivery of the placenta. Um, and if you're not sure if you are low risk, just speak to your midwife. Um, it should be fairly obvious. If you're high risk, you'll be seeing obstetricians and things like that. So I think that is the last question. I'm really sorry. I haven't been able to answer them all, um, but definitely save them up. And we'll um, hopefully I won't talk for so long next time. We'll be able to do more questions. <laughs>
Thank you.